0: Good morning again, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, this morning. Uh, as I was watching in the back, uh, I could see on the screen through the baptisms, did anybody else catch that wave of water that came off Matt? <laughs> that was amazing. That was, uh, and, I, and, and I, I just thought, like, So, as that wave certainly surprised the people uh, that were on this section of the church, I want to talk about some waves this morning that surprised the disciples. So, if you will be with me in Mark chapter 8, verse 23, as we're going to pick up this morning, it says, When he got into the boat, Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I love this passage, and in, in its, in it's brevity. There's a lot happening here, and we're going to explore this a little bit more this morning. But this passage... It communicates a crisis of belief. And and there's a moment, a a turning point, and it it happens to us all in different ways where we experience something or there's an event that takes place and it challenges how we think about God. In other words, you you, you can't think about God in the same way that you did before. And, And this is a moment for the disciples where they're having a crisis of belief and the events around this moment with Jesus and the storm in the boat kind of takes them in a direction that they really have to go. Like there's no other way than to kind of follow Jesus in this greater way of of who he is. You know, sudden storms were not unusual on the Galilean Sea. In fact, the geography lends itself very much to these storms popping up in the way they do. Uh, the, The Galilean Sea is below sea level. It's over 600 feet below sea level. And, and then um, the, the mountains around that uh, begin to create uh, this kind of geography that lends itself. So, so Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet in elevation, and it's 30 miles away. And so as this warm air around the sea begins to rise, it creates these downdrafts of cold air, very cold air. And, and that kind of uh, topography creates these very sudden storms. So the, the suddenness of the storm is not unusual, but the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. And when Matthew talks about this storm, he uses the Greek word to describe the storm. He, he calls it a great storm, but the Greek word he uses is seismus, which means earthquake. It's where we get the word earthquake from. So, so there's a significant event happening. This is no ordinary storm, right? These are professional fishermen. They've encountered bad weather all the time, but something about this storm is more than just bad weather. This storm makes them feel like they're going to die, like they're going to perish. They're they they're in a lot of trouble here. I, I know I've shared this at some point before, but Jennifer and I were on uh, in a on, on a boat in a storm once. Uh, it's the last time, but we were taking a cruise on our on our fifth anniversary, and we had five, six days kind of, you know, kind of motoring around the Gulf and, and different locations. But while we were out, a hurricane began to, to make its way through. I, we probably were saving money on the tickets, I guess. I know there's some, some, some rules of thumb of like when you schedule these events, these cruises, but we're out there, a hurricane is coming in. But that's not terrible when you're on a, a cruise ship. You can avoid it. You just kind of, you know, boat in a different direction. So we did for an extra day. But then we had to make our way back to our, our port and and in kind of trailing the hurricane back to where we disembarked from, we encountered a day worth of just bad weather, choppy seas. And Jennifer is motion sick, just sitting in the front seat of the car. And and so she's looking at me as we're just kind of kind of enduring these 24 hours of trying to get on land and we've already set our suitcases out for everything to be ready and the suitcases in the hallway are moving up and down the hallway on this cruise ship. And she's looking at me going like, I cannot do this anymore. I need to get off this ship. You need to go tell the captain right now I'm getting off. And I'm like, honey, I just... I think they're gonna put you in a smaller boat. Like, that's my concern. I don't know where you go from here. Like, you're not gonna get airlifted off the cruise ship. And so like, we're just, we are just don't have any good options. Like, we're just gonna to to make it through this. The disciples didn't have any good options. Like they're looking around at what's possible for them and there just weren't any things that they could consider. And I just want to put you in a situation alongside them for a moment. Let me put you in a storm. Let me put you in a difficult situation. Let me put you in a life circumstance in which you just don't like the options. The options are not just, they're not good. Just join them for just a minute in this place. And in moments like that, when you feel like you don't have any good options, what happens is you're, you're like, you're more fatigued than you are creative. Like you're just trying to get by. Uh, you, can, you can sense yourself losing hope. You don't like any of the outcomes. You're wondering too, like, what is God up to right now? Is he even paying attention? Right? The bill isn't getting paid. Your son or daughter's health isn't improving. You're in a difficult marriage and there just doesn't seem to be a good way forward. Your work situation is abruptly ending. You're in a a storm. You're in a situation and and you think you're going under and there's a certain amount of panic that's starting to set in and you look over and you see Jesus asleep. Asleep. Uh, Mark's gospel highlights this as well in verse 38 of chapter 4. It says this, but Jesus was in the stern of the ship asleep on the cushion. I don't know why Mark included that, but I just find that... He's asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? If you've ever had the vantage point of watching a swim instructor give swim lessons, this comes to mind right now. And, and living in, uh, in a place with a community pool, it's not uncommon that if you go there, you'll see this experience of the swim instructor teaching children how to swim and at first right it's it's a little concern there but you're the teacher's holding your hands you're learning to put your face in the water you're blowing bubbles you're kind of working your legs you're kicking a little bit and then it's that moment where the teacher says all right now i want you to swim to me and there's that four or five feet of distance that that child has to cover and as the child sets out to reach the teacher's hands Do you know what happens next? The teacher begins to back up. And all of a sudden, the child knows it, and I've seen this, like they're in the water face down, they're looking around, and they can see the feet moving backwards, and then taking in air, there's this all of a sudden panic, like something's happened here, you've tricked me, the rules have changed, and so as they're trying to get oxygen just to survive, they're also starting to panic, hey! What's happening? They're looking over at mom and dad. They're they're reaching out for the teacher. They think they're going to die. And if any other child is taking lessons, they're also terrified. They're going, is this what's going to happen to me? Like this experience, like what's happening in this moment when you feel like you're sinking, when you feel like you're going to die? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's what the disciples asked Jesus. And it seems like a fair criticism, because, oh, by the way, this was your idea to cross, the ocean, to cross the sea. We were fine on the land. You're the one that said, let's get in a boat and let's go across. So there are moments in our lives where we're feeling like we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, and it is going badly. You prayed. You sought God. You've been obedient. You've been faithful. And it's all falling apart. And you're sinking I asked for direction and I gave my best ability. I stepped out on faith. I did my part. And now like we're perishing. Has there ever been a moment where you felt duped? Like I, I thought I was signing up for something with Jesus that was different than this. And this is hard. And then the, so, the, so the disciples had to be saying, well, whatever this was, I guess it's over now. Go wake up the sleeping Messiah. You know, even for experienced fishermen, uh, Israelites weren't seafaring people. There were a lot of other cultures that were far more connected to the sea. But for the Hebrews, they saw the sea and open bodies of water as as chaotic, uh, foreboding, like there, there was a lot of mystery and uncertainty to it. And in fact, a, a lot of what they thought about water and its, kind of, and its power and its, its movement, it was something that only the Lord in his power could, could tame. And I love what Psalm 107 says in verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 29, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. I think that's what Jesus is doing right now. Taking Psalm 107 and just kind of pulling it into their presence. Jesus arose, it says, and he spoke. Mark's gospel says that Jesus just said, quiet. That's all he said. He didn't go on and on. He didn't say, in the name of. Like he didn't call on some other higher authority. He just says, stop, be still. And with a word, the waves calmed and the wind went away. And it says at that point that the disciples were terrified. Right? If they were scared before, like now now they're, they're marveling and terrified now. Because what's happened is they realize the storm is in the boat. The storm is in the boat. And whatever they thought about Jesus before, whatever they had seen him do in in the healing, in the miracles, in the teachings, this, this moment for them was a moment where they said, it's different. We don't know anybody who can do this. We've never seen anything like this before. And it was this moment, although they had been with him, they didn't really know who he was. Whatever you thought was overwhelming before, Whatever you are feeling like you were sinking in, now what's happening is Jesus is now overwhelming what was overwhelming. And he, he did it coming out of a nap in the middle of chaos. Jesus is steady in those moments. He is sleeping even in the storm. What, what do we do with that? What, what do we make of this idea that he's steady even when everything seems to be falling apart? So I want to talk about the steadiness of Jesus and how it brings a steadiness to our own lives. In this, one, Jesus expressed a confidence in the Father. Jesus had a confidence in the Father. Jesus' relationship with the Father was so secure in its purpose, in its significance, in its timetable, that Jesus knew that he would not experience one thing before the Father ordained it. In other words, Jesus is not going to die one day, one hour, one minute, one second before the Father wills it. He believed that. And the same is true for us. That your life is connected to something so deep, so good, so powerful, that even the most difficult of things that we would experience are working themselves out in us to achieve a good and a glory to God. Everything is connected to him. This seems to be the area, right, that Jesus actually challenges them and he rebukes them. He's like, why is your faith so little? And it's not, their faith wasn't little because they went to Jesus in the storm. That's not what he's rebuking them for. They went to Jesus in the storm and says, don't you care? Don't you care about us? And Jesus is saying, yes, of course I care. I'm with you right now. I'm in the boat with you. This is, there's a purpose for our lives, that hardships and difficulties do not change. That in Christ, there is a a power and presence of Jesus by the Spirit of God that is, that's deep within each believer, that creates a ballast in our lives so that we will not be torn and we will not be thrown over. It, It creates a depth to us that stabilizes and calms. It provides a peace to our soul, which doesn't make sense in light of the circumstances that we go through. May the peace of God kind of guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense that you would have peace in the situation, but you have Jesus, so you have peace. This is what he's saying to us. And I love this kind of act of confidence that Jesus expresses, that he sleeps in the middle of a storm. It's raging outside, and he's taking a nap. I wonder if I think that could be true of us too. What would it look like for you to go to bed tonight? Tonight, you go to bed with a new level of confidence that you know that God can do more while you're sleeping than you can do while you're awake. And you just rest. What if the next act of faith for you is just to walk into a room and lay down and take a nap? to rest because of the confidence that we have in God, because of the humility that we have in the Father, that it is not, we are not in control. It is not up to us. That God can do more than one in one second, in one moment, than we can do on our own, our entire lives. I love this confidence that Jesus has in the Father, a confidence that he shares with us. Jesus also knew this, that storms and God's love are not opposed to one another storms and God's love are not opposed to one another when everything is going wrong it's easy to think that God doesn't care if he really loved us we wouldn't be sinking right now it is really one of the one of the 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 key criticisms of Christian faith is that if God really loves if he's really powerful then why do bad things happen why is my life the way it is right this is the this is what we hear how can God love us and allow hardship and suffering to be experienced but This underlying idea or the question is wrong because scripture never takes suffering and persecution and opposition and hardship and separates them from God's love. He allows them to mingle and to coexist always. So let me give you a few ideas. God, I mean, God evidently lets things happen that I wouldn't choose. So let me give you a couple reasons why. Four reasons that God allows us to experience hardships, trials, and suffering. One, God allows our choices to matter. God allows your choices to matter. God gave you a mind. He gave you a will. And if you choose the things that are of God, God's will, things that are good, there is an inherent blessing and an inherent goodness that you experience in your life. But when you choose from selfish ambition, out of sin, out of manipulation, and live thoughtlessly, or put other people at danger, or put yourself at danger. There are natural consequences that those actions begin to reap into our lives. God has made our decisions matter. There are sometimes storms that we experience that are our own creating, and God allows that. There are times as well where storms that we experience are acts of discipline to help correct. God allows hardships in our lives, to discipline us, to to correct us. Jonah is a great example of this. God allowed Jonah to experience a storm. God uh, allowed in his providence even to experience a fish. It was actually a saving measure, but I mean, nobody wants to be in the belly of a fish for three days. But you get this experience that, that Jonah was allowed to encounter a storm so that he might have the opportunity to change his mind, so that he might have an opportunity to repent, so he might have an opportunity to do what is right. There are sometimes storms come into our lives so that God might bring a certain amount of correction in our lives. Third, sometimes we experience hardships so that they prevent future wrongs. Joseph is a good example of this. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Right? He ends up in Egypt working for a man named Potiphar. He, Joseph is then falsely accused of uh, being inappropriate with Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. Right? These, are, these are terrible things. And towards, and later on in Joseph's life, he reunites with his brothers, and his brothers are kind of conveying a certain apology and a certain repentance for what they've done to Joseph, and Joseph says this, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And Joseph, at this place in his life, becomes like the second most powerful man in all of Egypt and saves that area of the world from a famine through his leadership and through his position within Egypt. There is no way that Joseph would have ended up in that position without that route of difficulty, that God used those things which were hard, what were intended for evil, to do a greater good. Sometimes God brings certain things into our life to redirect us in ways that we wouldn't have gone in order to accomplish a greater good, in order to help someone. Sometimes God uses difficulties in our lives to help our love and devotion become more pure, I think when we go through difficulties we find like we we begin to realize like what's most good what's most significant what's most true what what brings us ultimate peace hardships always have a way of kind of clarifying what is best what what what's most important and what place does god have in our lives it's why peter says in 1 peter chapter 4 verse 12 dear friends don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you because ultimately god knows things we don't and god uses our circumstances these storms these moments where we feel like we're sinking to achieve certain things in our life to remind us of certain things to make certain things more clear you know this this account of the storm uh it's almost identical to another storm account uh, with one difference and it is the story of jonah let me let me let me help you see this so a storm comes right that's they have that in common the sailors are frantic The man of God is sleeping, all similar. They awake him and the storm is quieted by the sacrifice of the prophet. And the scene ends with everybody in awe, right? So there's, there's just really one difference between the Jonah story and this story with Jesus and the disciples and it's this. Where's the sacrifice of Jesus in the situation? Where is it? And it's this perspective that we have that the disciples didn't have yet. Because we realize that Jesus is going to sacrifice. Jesus did sacrifice himself. That Jesus faced the greatest storm that we could ever encounter. And it is the storm of God's judgment and the penalty of sin and death. And it's this one storm that can ultimately, eternally sink us. And Jesus went after this. Jesus is going to take on the greatest storm. He's going to take on brokenness. He's going to take on destruction. He's going to take on death. And as Jesus calms that storm, he calms every other one. He calms everything else. He took on suffering so that when suffering comes into your life, it only makes you great. It only makes you better. It only makes you stronger. It only makes you more pure. And when we see Jesus do that, when we see him bow his head and take on the ultimate storm, when we see him go to the cross, he reminds us that he does care for us. If you've ever wondered, God, what I'm going through right now, do you care? Are are, are you invested? Do you know what's happening? The cross is this forever reminder that God does care, that he does care for you. And so I just As you ask that question this morning, does Jesus really care for me? Jesus answers that very question by being in the boat. He came, and he took on flesh, and he walked with us, and he went where we went. And by coming into the world and by going to the cross, he showed us. He showed the disciples, and he shows us that he cares for us. And I think how often storms confuse us about God's love and about God's care. That when we go through something, we we wonder if God has left us. But God wants you to avoid the next storm, the next crisis of belief or life circumstance, thinking that you're in it alone. Another point I love about this is the storm didn't wake Jesus, but his friends did. The storm didn't wake Jesus, but his friends did. So let the storms take you to Jesus. Let the difficulties, let the hardships kind of take you to him. Jesus said in John chapter 15, greater love has no man than he who lays his life down for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid his life down so that we would be friends And Jesus does this perfectly on the cross. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then you are also his friend. And he cares for you. He cares about your welfare. He cares about what's going on in your life. That he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus still calms the storms. And even when our faith is little, I love this part of the story because Jesus gives this slight rebuke about, guys, of course I care for you. I'm here with you. Like they're like, Jesus, we're dying. Jesus, we're perishing. And Jesus goes, man, you guys, your faith is so small. And yet, Jesus still provides the miracle. In other words, it's not the size of our faith that moves Jesus towards us. It's the size of his love. It's the size of his power. It's the size of his compassion. That it'll never be about you having enough faith to get Jesus to respond to you in the way that you want him to do. He's already disposed to you. He's already inclined to you. He already loves you. And the cross has put it on display for all eternity. That you would be an object of grace. That he would lavish his love upon you. That you would experience his mercy. (laughs) I, I... Perhaps the next act for you is just to go into a room and fall down and and go to sleep. Because God loves you so much, and he is overseeing your life and a part of the circumstances in your life. And Jesus wants, right, as much as he wants us to relate to him with faith, what we see in this story is how Jesus relates to us. Just how gracious he is, how good he is. Is that becoming true for you? Can I, can I encourage you in that way this morning to just believe a little more deeply of how much Jesus cares for you? That he's with you. That you're not alone in the boat. And if you're walking through a storm right now, it is not without purpose, and it is not without his company. And that makes it infinitely better. I'd like to invite the worship team up to give us just a few more moments to just pray. So if you would, just just pray with me as we close. And let me ask you this question. And you can bring it before the Lord. Are you aware this morning of the one that keeps you from sinking? And so now, each time something works out, right, that there's a new day, each time we laugh, each time we feel and cry, each time we get through another day and we still have breath in our lungs, are we newly aware of the one who provided it? Who was and will be with us? Isaiah 41 says, Fear not for I am with you, I will strengthen you, I will help you. Jesus, thank you for being in the boat with us this morning. And I pray as we come to you and share with you our concern, uh, maybe even our panic, that you would bring peace that you would bring your presence, that you would encourage and restore and graciously as you do, bring our hearts along with a new level of confidence that you've got this. Help us to be obedient and faithful. Help us to be steadfast as you are Help us to seek you and come to you with everything that's on our heart and trust you by faith, believing that you are greater than any occasion we might face. We pray this in your name. Amen.